John 7, 37 to 39. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. This is the word of God for us today. Grab a seat. Have you done any of New Zealand's great walks? Who here has done a great walk? Oh, good on you. Maybe you've just done a local bushwalk somewhere around Auckland. Anyone done some local bushwalks around it? Yep, good on you. Who here just has some greenery around their house so they're content with that? Indoor plants, cool. Have you noticed though that when you walk around Aotearoa, we are so blessed to be living in a country where we are positioned geographically and with the type of shaped islands that we have, that it is so green. It is so green. And if it's green, why is that? Because we have a good access to water. If you take a trip to the middle of Australia or to larger continents of Africa or America, or into the Middle East, you quickly see what a different geography will produce around the world. Desert, dry, brown, barren. And the scriptures, the scriptures aren't set in Aotearoa. The scriptures are set in desert. Israel, which is the main place of the story of the scriptures, is dry, it's brownie gray, there's not much water. It's uh, set just above Egypt, which most of us will know from even basic geography that Egypt is a place of the desert. And there's not much life to be found. So in this geographical context, there's a lesson that is really, really obvious and really well known. If there's water, there is life. Look at this image. Right by the edge of the water is where the life is. And look how quickly it ends. Where water is, trees can grow. Where water is, food can be found. Where water is, there is refreshment. Where water is, life can abound. Life can flourish. Water was a gift in a desert geography. And so, water is a grace. When we read the scriptures, there is a powerful message whenever we hear about water. It's talking about grace. It's talking about a gift. And in the reading of the scriptures, it is a sign of God's life bursting in to dry and barren places. Actually, over 150 times throughout the scriptures, this image of rivers, flowing water 
is used. Here's a little snapshot of a few. One of the first ones is in Genesis 2 verse 10 in the creation story. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. A river was flowing through the garden, bringing nourishment to it, bringing flourishing to it. Or Psalms starts with this. This is the opening words of the Psalms. Those who mediate, uh, meditate on the law of the Lord, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither. They prosper in all they do. Just, just go back to that image I just showed you a few moments ago. Just go back to that little image of a big desert land with a river running through it and that, that greenery just on the very edge of the river. That's what Psalm 1 is trying to conjure up. If you're near the water, you're going to flourish like that. And how do you be near the water? Well, you're those who mediate, meditate. I keep saying mediate. Meditate on the law of the Lord. Jeremiah has the same idea. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Go back to that image I just showed you. Are you seeing it? What a picture. What a picture. Ezekiel says this, fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. Ah, now the picture's thickening up a little bit. Now, this isn't about a river, but in Isaiah, we have this little moment. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. This is Isaiah. And then Jesus comes along with the statement from today's text. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. We've just had all these prophetic pictures of rivers and flourishing. And Isaiah says, you can come. And you can drink, even if you have nothing to bring in return for this. And Jesus, standing on the shoulders of all of those prophetic statements, says, Come to me and drink. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And, and then there's this little bit of a commentary here where John is just saying, like, Oh, by the way, they didn't quite get it in the moment, but later on they got it. They get the fact that what he's talking about is the Spirit is coming. So, side note, commentary, afterthought, the Spirit is the water. Put those together. In Revelation, at the very end of our scriptures, we started at Genesis where the river was running through the garden. Let's just finish at the very end of the Bible. The last chapter starts like this. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street and on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. That sounds familiar. I think we read that just earlier from one of the prophets. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. It's just a bit, it's about getting your imagination going here and realizing that in the scriptures over 150 times rivers are mentioned and in a bunch of them it's talking about this metaphorical language about the life of God bringing flourishing to our lives and the life of God bringing flourishing to the nations. The Spirit of God is the picture here. All of this to say, the beginning of flourishing 
is to be in the flow of the Spirit. Because water is so essential in a dry land. God's life-giving Spirit wants to come and bring life that it may flourish and that flourishing would then bless others. It will bless into the places that need renewal and healing and restoration. The thing is, is that this is not our usual starting place for thinking about the flourishing life when we go to our secular culture. Our secular culture does not start here, does it? Our ideas of flourishing from culture are not live by the Spirit. Usually they start with live as long as you can, get as rich as you can, live as well as you can. That's the three things that Miroslav Volf puts in his book, uh, Life Worth Living. He assesses the culture around those three things. Culture is trying to live as long as it can, get as rich as it can, and as well as it can. Our ideas of flourishing are informed more by the slogans like, you do you, live your truth. These are the markers of the goal. Most of the culture is setting its own vision of a flourishing life, not God's best version of it. And that's to say, you know, cultural flourishing feels a lot more like this dry desert of self-achievement, the grind, forever going, forever grinding, forever trying. I'm not getting there. I know what I'll do. I'll bring in a life coach. A life coach will sort me out. The life coach gives you some advice. You pay them an exorbitant amount of money. No, not if you're a life coach, that's all good. It's all good. But it's all about this grind of seeking through, following through to a flourishing vision. And who's ultimately setting it? Us. There's a lot of self-work in this. There's a lot of our own heavy lifting. Cultural flourishing feels a lot more like a life in a dry desert rather than being nourished in the flow of a river. And that's not how it's meant to be in the Christian story. Because as Christians, the New Testament is very clear. We have been invited to start life, not under our own strength, but by receiving what Christ has already done and stepping into the flow of it, continuing on from what he began. Receiving his gift, as we talked about for all of Pentecost, of this life-giving water, the flow of the Spirit. The Spirit is flowing. Now, the New Testament is also very clear that there is one flow, but amongst that flow, there's many different ways to be in it. The New Testament writers make it very clear that we are unified by one Spirit and one Spirit alone. And 1 Corinthians 12 says this, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. There's a reason why Paul goes on to paint one of the best biblical metaphors of the church, and he calls it a body. A body, one body with Christ as the head, but with all these different parts, all these different functions, all these different expressions. Hand can't be an eye, and eye can't be a foot, and so on and so on. Why? Because there's a unique diversity to it, but it's unified as one whole. Everyone is different. Every one of us is different. Every one of you is different, I am different, you are different. But equally important, we have unique ways to connect with God because of our uniqueness. The Spirit wants to call all of us to flourish. All of us are called to a flourishing life, every one of us, life in the Spirit. But how we get there will take a little bit of 
uh, figuring out because we are all different. This is what Ortberg says again. He says this, God has a plan for the me he wants me to be. It will not look exactly like the plan for anyone else, which means it will take freedom and exploration for me to learn how God wants to grow me. Spiritual growth is handcrafted, not mass produced. Amen. God does not do one size fits all. That's good news. What works for me might not work for you, and what works for you might not work for me. Now, there's some things we do do together, but in amongst that, there's even a bit of uniqueness. Why is that? Why is this? that there's difference amongst us as we connect with the Spirit together. Well, I've got a bunch of reasons listed here. I'm just going to talk through them very quickly. We're uniquely wired, and as a result of that, we're all going to have some unique things that we bring to the table. Firstly, your temperament. Uh, In this room right now, there's a bunch of introverts. You really struggled with that coffee break a couple of minutes ago. Your tank is probably a little empty now. Well done, you. And you're like, and we're doing soup afterwards. Hey, hey, hey. And in the room, there's a bunch of extroverts. You're like, let me at that soup. I'm going to connect the doors open on this place. Like, let me at it. Amen. <laughs> you know, we've got introverted and extroverted. I'm extroverted. I married an introvert. Man, for the last nearly 15 years of marriage, I've been learning a whole other world of how people engage with the world. The temperaments. You know, Myers-Briggs, you know, are you a, are you a, a th- what is it, a feeler or a thinker? Um, you know, are you open-ended or are you more orderly? This is all about temperaments at play. We're all different. And amongst a room like this, doing this job, standing here and talking to you all for half an hour every week is quite difficult because there's a bunch of temperaments sitting here interpreting what I'm saying and taking on board what I'm saying and thinking about what I'm saying. And, and this is a big task because we're all different. There's a bunch of Enneagram numbers. Seven. What are you? You know, different numbers, different ways to think about who we are and how we've been made up. Uh, Second, there's your sacred pathway. If you haven't heard of Sacred Pathways, it's a book by Gary Thomas, and it's brilliant. And in this, he talks about nine different pathways that people connect to God. That's the pathway, the pathway of the sacred. And in it, there's nine different pathways. There's the naturalist, which is not a naturist. Okay, just get that right. Sometimes I say it wrong when I'm talking about it, but it's a naturalist. In other words, you like to be out in nature. You connect with God. Maybe you're a surfer, and when you're sitting at the back of those waves, you feel the closest to God that you've ever felt as you're waiting for that next set to roll in. There's the ascetic. That's the person who needs the things of the church, like what we've done today. You need communion tables and things like this. Uh, Traditionalist, you need like these big, grand, old traditions to sit in, and you love that. You love it when you're sitting in something old and historical. There's the activist. Activists want to lean in and do something. I know who some of you are. You know, you want to get some stuff done. I nearly said a different S word there. That's what you do, you know. Um, There's the caregivers. You want to lean in and care for people. That's how you show, that's how you connect to God. You connect to God by your caring of others. Some of you are caregivers. I know who you are too. You show up to people and that's your way of connecting to God. There's the sensate. You want to feel things. You, you, you sense things a lot. Even in church today, you've probably been sort of buzzing out on a couple of things you sense with God because you're a sensate. That's one of your pathways. There's the enthusiast. You just want to like whistle and clap. Chris is an enthusiast, I reckon. Most of us probably would acknowledge that. There's the contemplative. Chris is probably not a contemplative. My wife is a contemplative. She wants to sit quietly and she wants to, um, um, she wants to be with God in solitude and quiet. And now she's got two kids and an extroverted husband. And she's like, how do I do this? 
There's the intellectual. You want to open books and you want to dig into scripture and you want to write lots of notes because you're an intellectual. You love to engage your brain. These are different pathways. We are all unique. And these are different ways in which we all connect with God. There's your learning style. Some of you are visual learners. Some of you are auditory, auditory, whatever the vowel is that's meant to be in there. Um, Some of you are tactile learners. Some of you are just oral learners. You need to process stuff. Some of you are logical. Some of you are imaginative. You want more metaphors. And some of you want stats and graphs and, and all that sort of stuff. We are all different in our learning styles, aren't we? There's your signature sin. Some of you saw that up there and you're like, whoa, where's this going to go when he gets to number four? Your signature sin. Your signature sin is the temptation you just keep going to all the time. Your signature sin is because of your temperament, who your makeup and who you are, you keep leaning in. So for example, I'm an Enneagram 7, which means I love a gluttony of options. I live in the future. I'm already over the series. I'm thinking about the next three. Because I just want to keep moving forward into the next things. And so my signature sin is gluttony. My signature sin is I want to keep, just, I want everything. I want it all. That's my signature sin. I'm very aware of it. I have to keep it in check. It's a big temptation for me. What's yours? What are the things you keep going back to as a key temptation? Is your family of origin? Family of origin, some big stuff from Pete Scazzaro and the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality kind of line. He does a lot of work with this, and it's like, well, the way you've been raised is actually going to really create a lot of the way you see the world. Uh, it talks about how Jesus may be in your heart, but your, grand, your grandma is in your bones. In other words, the things of your family are the way that you end up living in the world. I know, for example, my family have a really big do-it-yourself culture. My dad's the kind of guy that if stuff's not getting done, he just does it. And so he piles up the workload onto his own shoulders. And so I've sat in behind him my whole life watching him do that. And so the temptation for me is to do the same thing. I'll just do it. I'll do it to a better standard. I'll get it done. And I become that same kind of grinder as my dad is. So this family of origin has created a way of actually navigating in the world that I have to be aware of. It has a shadow side. Lastly is your season of life. You know, what used to work for me when I was a young single person is not working for me now that I am a middle-aged dad with two kids. Not because it doesn't work anymore, but because my life has changed. The season changed around me. And just sometimes we need to acknowledge that. We move into different seasons. And the seasons mean that different things will be happening differently. So all of this is part of being uniquely wired. We all sit here and it's quite a mess, isn't it? If we untangle all these threads together, we'd be all over the show. But there is something that I think all of us can gain uh, in the way of some perspective and wisdom today. We're going to be all over the show amongst those things there. But I want to share a little bit of wisdom today that we can all grab hold of in one go. But first, before I do, a story. Um, I grew up in Otago. I grew up down south. In particular, there was for a few years there, um, when I was a young boy, sort of from like two through to four, um, we lived in a place called Outram. Outram is out in the Taieri Plains, and by Outram is this place, uh, river called the Taieri River. I have a vivid memory as a kid of a stifling hot summer's day. And my mum and one of her friends took us took me down to the river to have a swim. 
And the place was absolutely heaving with people. We had to park ages away from the river and we had to walk, you know, everyone's cars were like parked in on the side and you had to walk past so many cars. There was all kinds of people doing all kinds of things when we got there. Now this is 1988 or something like that, so there's no supping. No one's supping yet. No stand-up paddle boards. But there's some bright, I can remember these like bright colored plastic kayaks and being like, what are those? There was people sitting in these like blow up donut rings and there were some people who had blown up just big old like tractor tire um, tubes and they were floating around in those. Some people were swimming, some people were messing around throwing tennis balls that stuck to those Velcro pads. You guys remember those? Yeah, way before Nerf. It was the original Nerf. And some people were stacking up like rocks to make like river rock towers. Some people were barbecuing on their little charcoal barbecue setup. Some people were just drinking some cold beers out of chili. I remember the place was just alive. It was just, it was just pumping on this summer's day. And I also have a memory of this was the first time that I think I went swimming. My mum's my friend, her name was April, she took me out paddling. And as I now have watched my son do, just paddling, I was not content with just paddling. I wanted to get deeper. I wanted to go out and get amongst the water. So she took me out further until I was sort of submerged up to my chest, up to, up to sort of here. And then I remember her, I can still vividly remember this, she taught me how to do something for the first time. She, she put her arm behind me and she got me to start lying back. Lying back. Teaching me to float. I was still tethered to her, she was still sort of holding me and I was holding her as I was getting used to this. But I could feel as I did that, like the current would start sort of sweeping me over. Whoa. I'd get my balance. And then I'd go back a little bit further. And I remember the first time I got my head back far enough for water to go on my ears. And I was like, my brain's going to fall out. You know, and I quickly stood up. She assured me my brain was not going to fall out. It was fine. She laid me back again and she said, relax, just relax. Just take a big, deep breath in. That's it. There you are, you're floating. And I remember just sort of floating in the current for a bit. She was right. The secret was to just lie back, relax. Surrender. Lift my feet up off those rocky stones underneath and to just lie on the water like it was a bed. And as I did that, I would, I would float away a little bit and then I'd kind of like, you know, uh, come back to her, do it again. And for, for, I guess, an hour, that hot summer's day down in Otago, I was this little floating kind of lap, <laughs> racetrack lap, learning to float, and enjoying being in the water. I was living in what one day would be a really great sermon analogy for. Our job isn't to be the river, but it is to be in its flow. Our job is not to be the river, but it is to get in. We've just celebrated Pentecost Sunday as a church only a couple of weeks ago. Pentecost Sunday is to remind us every year there is a river of living water in a desert that is dry, gray, and barren. The Holy Spirit is breaking in and flowing. Uh, as a Franciscan priest puts it, Richard Raw says, and everything belongs, faith does not need to push the river because faith is able to trust that there is a river. The river is flowing. We are in it.
You know, despite what our culture would have you believe, you are not your own making. You are not your best you. The flourishing life is not purchasable on Instagram or attainable by some eight-part miniseries by a B-list celebrity who is piping off their best ideas on their Spotify podcast that they're featuring for that month. The best you is not found by going to the gym to get your best rig. And no amount of overseas travel and expensive trips is ever going to fill that ache. You are not your own making. All of these are just things that always demand more from you when you reach them. Every one of those things upon arrival just asks you when you get there, so now what? You will always be striving, you will always be drier, and you'll always become thirstier. But there is good news. You are not your own. You are not your best you. And you are not flourishing yet. But the gospel says this. You are loved. You are loved by God right now. And he loves you so much that he has engaged the entire cosmos into a project of renewal to see you become your best you. He is lovingly and kindly making you into the best you that he can see. Last week we talked about this from Ortberg. Ortberg said, when you become holier, you don't just become holier, you become youier. And God doesn't want to exchange you, but he does want to redeem you. He wants to make you new. And so the liberating news today is this. As we surrender to God, as we open our life up to God right now, where we find ourselves at, as we open our lives up to him, it's like lifting your feet off the rocks at the bottom of the river and starting to learn to lie back. It's like leaning back for that first time and feeling the water move up the back of your head. As you find yourself able to do this, you, you start to lean back more and enjoy the flow. Jesus has promised that this flow would be here. Jesus has promised that the Spirit would be here. We are not alone. We have a companion. We have a guide. We have something to float in. There is a river of living water that is running through this dry and weary land. There is the Holy Spirit who is flowing. The invitation to all of us is get in the flow. The metaphor of Jesus' promise is still alive for all of us today as we sit here. Come. Come to the river of living water, water that cuts through this dry and barren land, making a route, finding its way to the ocean. Come, water that cuts through our tired and dehydrated lives, burnt out from our own energy and labors and religiosity. Come and find water of refreshment. That is to say, come from your labor, come from your effort to do this yourself. Don't just buy into that cultural picture further. That's not how this works. But enjoy the God who has put a current in motion, a current of mercy and life, his spirit around us, in us and through us. Come, 
Lie back, come, have your ears filled with water, come, learn to breathe and fill your chest in the flow, come, learn to rest and relax, come, be in the flow of the Spirit. All of this to say, the flow of the Spirit takes a couple of things. It takes three things, I think. Number one, it takes awareness. Number two, it takes surrender. Number three, it takes intentionality. Let's talk quickly about each of these to finish today. Number one, awareness. Awareness is that you will intentionally choose to be here in that space. It's different being in the car park to being in the river. It's different being on the edge with the barbecue than it is being in the water. So awareness just says, where am I? Am I living in a normal, everyday, ordinary existence or am I placing myself into holy spaces with God? Um, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, I made space for God in a unique way that I've never done before. Uh, I've been practicing a certain practice for about 18 months, uh, once a week, and actually, um, for a couple of weeks ago, I tried to do it for the entire week. I spent a whole week with this practice, and do you know what happened on the other end of it? After seven days of practicing this practice for for seven days, I had spent seven days aware of God. And I remember driving to church. I finished this practice on a Saturday night and I drove to church the next Sunday morning and I drove with tears in my eyes to come to church on Pentecost Sunday because I was so hungry and thirsty for him. I'd spent a week aware of him. I'd spent a week praying. I'd spent a week interceding. I'd spent a week engaging in this practice of prayer that I was doing. And I drove here absolutely filled to the eyeballs of awareness with God. And I was absolutely the most tender. I've been driving to church at 7 a.m. for 20 years to school halls like this to do church. And I think that was the most tender I've ever driven to church. Why? Because I'd spent a week practicing something that helped me to be aware. To be aware. And so I was. So awareness asks this. Where am I? What am I doing? Where am I positioned? Is that a dove? Prophetic. That's prophetic. Don't worry about it. St. Francis used to say, just bless the birds, you know, so just bless them. Let it be. So awareness. Number two, it takes surrender. Now, surrender is not a very popular word in this moment of of history, is it? We, We don't want to surrender anything at the moment. We don't want to surrender our opinions that have been held. We don't want to surrender positions that have been taken. We don't want to surrender what's been earned. We don't want to surrender what's rightfully ours. Surrender is not a very popular topic. But the way of Jesus is absolutely clear. You cannot argue with the Gospels when you read the life of Jesus. To follow him, to pursue him, we must lose our current life as it is. We must lay it down. We must surrender. This means living in surrender. Not just once, but daily and hourly. Living in surrender, learning to cultivate surrender. Um, We've been taking our little boy Jimmy to swimming lessons for the last sort of 12 months. And and I've watched him go from being this this kid who would, um, you know, he would just want to stand and learning how to now actually get his feet up off the water and swim. And do you know what it takes? The swimming teacher puts it like this. Head down, bum up. Head down, bum up. They have to put their head down and they have to get their bum up and then when they do that, their feet come up. 
This is them learning surrender. They want to stand. They don't want to do that. They have to trust this process, but the teacher is insistent every time. Head down, head down, bum up, bum up. Learn to surrender, learn to surrender. Get your feet up. There you are, now you are swimming rather than just standing in water. Standing in water is not swimming, folks. That's just standing in water. To swim requires surrender. You too have to head down, bum up. Don't think about that too much. My analogy is breaking down now. But it does remind me of Jesus. It reminds me of Jesus where he said, if a seed is not planted down in the ground and not able to die, it will not sprout back into new life. It reminds me of Jesus saying, if you cannot lose your life, you will not find it, the new one that I have for you. Surrender is the gateway to all that I'm talking about today. As C.S. Lewis put it, this is a brilliant C.S. Lewis little line, relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. Surrender asks, who's ultimately in control? Me or God? Last one, intentionality. You know, if we're going to be in the flow, while we are in the flow of the Spirit, you might think there's nothing to do. But actually, any good swimmer knows there's still something to do. There's still an intentionality to this. There's still a way to be. Yet we're not the flow, we're not the flow of the river. But to be in the flow, well, requires still doing something. I love it how Ortberg puts it in the me I want to be. He says this, surrender is not the same as passivity. God's will for your life involves exercising creativity, making choices, and taking initiative. Surrender does not mean being doormat. It does not mean you accept circumstances fatalistically. Often it means you will have to fight to challenge the status quo. It doesn't mean that you stop using your mind, stop asking questions, or stop thinking critically. Surrender is not a crutch for weak people who cannot handle life. Instead, surrender is the glad and voluntary acknowledgement that there is a God and it is not me. His purposes are often wiser and better than our desires. Jesus does not come to rearrange the outside of our life the way we want it. He comes to rearrange the inside of our life the way God wants it. You know, when we live committed to being surrendered continually, we will find that there's a lot to do. There's this rearrangement taking place in us, and rearrangement takes a bit of work. Surrender does not mean we don't do anything, but it does refine what we end up doing. I'll say that again. Surrender does not mean we don't do anything, but it does refine what we end up doing. Intentionality is that focus. Intentionality is that refinement. Uh, you know, if we're going to be focused on the important renewal work of God, how are we focused on that? I'll just give you a little example of how intentionality plays out for me. Um, one example is, I'm going to, I'll use the example of money, for example. You know, culture wants me to believe that what I have earned is rightfully mine. That to flourish, I will need cash and I will need lots of it. Make heaps of money and you'll be happy is what culture screams at me. But in my life with God, I have come to believe that it is very hard for a rich person to inherit the kingdom of God. 
And I've come to believe it's better to give than to receive. Internally, there has been this work taking place in me. The Spirit has been at work, reworking me when I think about money. And the reworking is this. It's not mine. It's God's. It was always his. I'm just looking after it for a little while. I'm stewarding this. This is God's. I'm the steward. And every payday, when I get paid, which is every fortnight, that's where I start. Every fortnight, when that money comes in, I say a prayer of gratitude. Lord, thank you for what you've given us this month. Thank you for this pay. And then I practice generosity straight off the bat. I give a bit to this church. I look for a couple of people that I've been thinking about in prayer who might need a little bit of something, just generously behind the scenes. I practice generosity as my first port of call because why? It's not mine. I'm stewarding it. I then look to my family. We pay our bills. We aren't living in much debt. We manage things. We pay what we need to pay. Then thirdly, we figure out what to do with what's left over. Yeah, there's some nice things that we'd like to try and buy that we're saving up for. We don't live beyond our means. We don't stretch too far. We don't let ourselves drift into unimaginable places that we can't afford. Why? Because, because this money is God's. And I've been called to steward it. I've been called to use it for something greater. And so that is what it is when God starts to redefine something and rework something in you and starts to play out in intentionality. This is what it is to live in surrender. You know, I still need to figure out what to do with my money just like you do. Every fortnight when I get paid, I still have to figure out what to pay and what, to, what bills to do and all those kinds of things. I have that life too. But the thing is, is that all of my decisions around money start from the baseline of this is not mine. It's God's and I'm looking after it. It's this baseline of surrender. This internal reality that's been worked in me was not always there. I was terrible with money for about 30 years of my life. It's only the last eight years that I've started to move into that sort of space. But it is the work of the Spirit amongst me. As I have surrendered my life more, He has reworked things and I've learned how to live in the flow and do the things of His Spirit. And generosity is one of the things of His Spirit. And so I'm just trying to get everything else to line up with that every step of the, of the way. And it all starts with this awareness and the surrender and getting intentional. So to summarize, to flourish and to uh, get in the flow of the Spirit, we need to be aware of where we are. We need to realize that surrender is the gateway. It's the only way in. And we're going to have to use some intentionality with managing all the things that we find on the other side as we get in the flow. Just to close and to end, and then it's going to be lunchtime. In today's text, Jesus says this, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. I kind of leaned into this a little bit already this morning, but I just believe that there's some people here who are thirsty. There's just a thirst in you. And that's of two different types of thirst. I think some of you are thirsty because it's your own making. Some of you are thirsty because you're hanging out in the desert and it's your choice. 
And I think some of you are thirsty because you are thirsting for the things of God on a new level in a new way that you haven't for maybe years. Maybe just the last couple of years have developed this thing in you and you're like, I just want more of God. I just want more of him. I'm not content with what I have. There's got to be more of God. And so I've just been sitting with that all week, just, just stewarding that in prayer. And I wanted to bring some words of an old song that came to mind. Some of you might know it. It's an old vineyard worship song from a long time ago. It just goes like this. All who are thirsty, all who are weak. So whether you're thirsty because of your own doing or whether you're thirsty because it's just something graced on you at the moment, what, is the, what do I do with that? Well, the song says this. Come to the fountain. Capital F meaning it's an image of God. Not just any fountain. Don't just go to Albert Park. Just come to the fountain, Jesus Christ, who said of himself, I am this fountain, the space of living water springing up into the world. And dip your heart in the stream of life. Consecrate your life into the stream of life. Consecrate your life again into the kingdom of God. Say, yes, Jesus, I am here for you and for the work that you're doing. And then there's this beautiful little payoff. Let the pain and the sorrow be washed away in the waves of his mercy as deep cries out to deep. And the bridge of the song just goes, the chorus of the song just goes, come Lord Jesus, come. Come Lord Jesus, come. Come Lord Jesus, come. Then it changes to Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Now I'm out of time and we're going to have lunch and the kids are returning. I know that, but could I just grab you for just a couple more minutes just to hold this? in prayer as we finish. I want to invite you to stand, it too. And if the kids make their way in, just they might find their way to their parents here and um, they've been cooking for us. They've been making a soup. Isn't that awesome? So we're going to be eating that in a few moments. But allow me just to see if there's a, a moment of ministry here in this for us, which I think there is for some of us. So Lord, we just do what we've been doing for, for weeks now. We lean in and we just say, come Holy Spirit. This is not about anything being worked up or anything being um, manipulated. This is just us responding with hearts of desire to you. And so Lord, I want to pray for those two different types of people that we sense this week. Some of us are dry. And when we ask the hard questions, we realize it's actually because it's my own making. I've actually just taken a really long walk in dry places. Lord, I thank you for your great gospel that says, I love you. I love you so much. I love you even as you've walked and even as you've gone. And I've been looking and watching and I've been with you. I have not left you or forsaken you. But come back. Leave that barren place and come find yourself back to the river. Come back to where there's greenery. Come back. Come and find life. Flourishing will be found by the work of the Spirit. Flourishing will come to your life. A good, satisfying, rich, deep life will come. Good things will grow. Fruitfulness will abound. You'll find yourself like that who is planted by the river, whose 
Leaves will not wither or dry or fall. Flourishing will come. And so I just sense for some of you, if that's the thing you are taking this morning, the word of God for you today, the, the, the thing he is declaring to you is, just come back to the river. Come back to the river. And uh, the second group of people are people that I think there's a growing sense of a grace on you. And you're thirsty because it's like, God's actually just, I'm just thirsty. I'm like, I want more of God. God, I have not had enough of you. And I, I just want to say to you today, that's his grace on you. That's not you earning it or working it up. That is actually him responding to desire. And in that desire, he is making you thirstier. And so I bless that because that is this beautiful work of life with faith, is that we are never content. There's always room to fill up with more. And so, as Jesus said, come, come and drink. So we, we pray for you today that you would come and drink. I've had this sense um, for a few weeks now that, um, that the Lord's doing ministry not by us coming to the front, but by um, us in our normal everyday lives. And, and a bunch of people have just been sending me little stories about that. You know, on Tuesday I was doing this and suddenly God met me. And, and I just want to say to you, for those of you who sense that there's a thirst in you, the things that are going to quench your thirst are probably not going to be found here in church on Sunday morning when we gather. This will be great, but it will always leave you wanting more. I think where you're going to have your thirst best quenched is when you go out to be like the leaves that will bless the nations. And so I want to say to you, with as much sort of propheticness as I can, this is not my strength at all, but I want to say, go to the places that need mending and your thirst, your thirst will be met. You'll find it there. So go. Go find a place to serve and your thirst will be met. So Spirit of God, we invite you to come and do your work with us. Those of us who are dry, we're coming to the river. Those of us who are thirsty, we're going to the place of mission. Come, let living water flow, that we may be a flourishing people, because this is where we've started, with life with your Spirit.